Hi, this is Matt Stagliano, and thanks for being part of the Artist Forge. We're a community of creatives who help each other think like an artist by discussing creativity as a process instead of a skill or a talent. We believe everyone has what it takes to create something amazing. We just need some encouragement and inspiration along the way. What you're about to hear is a live recording of one of our daily discussions on the Clubhouse app. If you like what you hear, I encourage you to join our private Facebook group or visit us on the web at theartistforge.com. Now on to the show. I guess I should probably start by saying good morning. Welcome to Morning Walk with the Artist Forge. My name is Nicole York. I'm going to be your host. And today we're going to be talking about storytelling a little bit. And we're going to be approaching this not necessarily from the visual literacy part of storytelling per se, but how we develop a story. Because oftentimes we don't realize how important a story can become to the visuals that we're creating until we start struggling with the different visual aspects that we need to include because we're not sure what part they have to play in the story. But if we understand what story we're trying to tell and who we're talking to beforehand, that becomes the guiding factor in choosing what elements to include. So it becomes the blueprint for all the visuals that come after. But the question becomes, how do we come up with that story in the first place? How do we start to refine it so that it's actually the thing we want to say and make sure that it's going to properly communicate to the people that we're talking to? And that can be one of the trickiest parts. If you were here for any part of the uh, business, the mastering the business of art section that we did in December, you'll remember that we talked a lot about understanding our why as business owners and also trying to figure out what it was that clients would want from us. Why are they gonna work with us? What is it about their lives? What need do we need to fill that is gonna help them connect with our brand? And in order to properly convey that through imagery, we have to make a story out of it. So it's not just a question of, I've got a pretty image and here we go. It's a question of, well, who am I talking to? What story do I need to tell that's gonna help them connect themselves to my brand and then take an action based on that if we're using storytelling in a marketing perspective. If we're using storytelling purely to communicate something about our subject or about something we're personally dealing with or an idea we have, we still have to develop a storyline so we can choose what to include. And I know I've said this before, but it bears repeating. The story does not have to be complicated. It doesn't have to be a three-act structure with you know, an, an introduction and setting the scene and a denouement and all the crazy things that writers include often in uh, you know, novels or plays or whatever. The story can be as simple as, here's a hardworking businessman who is going to do his best to help your company grow, right? That is a pretty simple story. Or here is a senior who loves volleyball and is excited about the next phase of her life. That's a pretty simple story as well. Here's a World War II veteran. Here is a part of the city where everybody comes to celebrate when the team wins. Here is a cake that you want 
to purchase for your kid's birthday. I mean, there are a million different small stories that we can tell, but understanding what they are and then making sure we develop them for their purposes is what is going to drive your visual choices. So how do we do that? How do we figure that out? Well, it starts with knowing who we're talking to and what we want them to do or feel. And if you think about it for just a second, it'll be pretty clear that if I'm trying to talk to women in their 40s about, you know, celebrating this period of their lives, I'm going to make some pretty different choices than if I want to talk to young mothers about capturing their children at play. So even within those two categories, talking to young mothers or talking to grandmas, I'm going to have two different approaches, right? Depending on who I'm talking to and then what I want them to do. Do I want them to click through and see more? Do I want them to book right now? Do I want them to buy this print? What do I want them to do? And that becomes part of the storytelling also. So I wanted to start by asking the panelists this morning, and I want to start with you, Bassam, because I know you don't have a lot of time if you can talk. I know you'll said you'd be a fly on the wall, but if you can, do you ever consider the story that you're trying to tell about your clients? And if you do, how do you start developing that into any kind of visual language? A uh, very current uh, subject, because I have an example from uh, last night. I had an inquiry last night from a, from a client for a personal business branding uh, uh, photo shoot. And I didn't know what, I, you know what I'm getting into, obviously, until I got on Zoom with him. And, uh, and I simply, I mean, I, I started at zero. The, I didn't have a clue whether he wants headshots or anything else. But the guy is starting a business, and I start I start the whole process by just asking questions about about his his business uh, himself, what he's doing, what's he's planning, why he's doing this, uh, what's uh, what instigated his need for uh, for imagery, um, where does he see it going? Uh, is he the only player? Are there any other players? I mean, I just ask all kinds of questions to 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 start building a in a way, a, uh, a framework or a structure or even a visual of what this person has in mind. What is his vision without asking questions about, well, what's your vision? What's your mission? And what's all that? Just simple exploratory questions that, that, that built a story, his story in my mind, my impression of where he's coming from. Uh, recognizing fully that he may not know exactly what he's looking for. Right, and it, and it was the case last night. He's kind of a an entrepreneur. He's got an idea, doesn't know where to go with it, but knows that he has to start somewhere, and knows that he needs a picture of some kind. That's where he started. So by building an image in my mind, it it uh, it it gives me kind of a uh, uh, an end state, whether it ends up being the eventual end state or not, but at least a starting end state that I can go backwards and say, okay, well, what would the story be if you were to tell your story? And what are the important elements in there? And then what steps do we need to take to, to kind of explore, um, uh, uh, you know, which elements of the story I can help you with as an artist, as a photographer. That's the, mi that's the mindset and process, my, you know, thought process I go through. And we, we actually, 
what I just described, we went through last night and we ended up in a good place. So, yeah. Hope okay, I love sense. that. Yeah, and it's, it's fantastic to start from the perspective of um, when you are working with someone, when they are commissioning you, um, it's, it's so important to know as much as possible about what their needs are. Because obviously, you won't tell the same story depending on what somebody needs. A personal branding and boudoir are not going to be telling the same story. And two personal branding clients who need different things are not going to be telling the same story. So making sure you are understanding needs of the client, asking as many questions as you can, getting deep into what it is that's motivating them to get this done. And then also making sure that we understand, well, what is this personal branding supposed to do for you, right? What do you want people to think, believe, et cetera, when they see these images? So I love doing that really deep questioning part. And since you mentioned that, I kind of want to poke Becca a little bit because I know that that the, that part of this process is super duper important for the way that she works with her clients. So I mentioned before that Storytelling exists on a spectrum and for visual artists like us and those of us in business, storytelling will exist on the same spectrum. Sometimes you will be tasked with telling a really complex story or asking really big questions about important things that require a whole lot of thought. And other times you'll be asked to tell much smaller stories depending on what the client needs from you that may be simple like I thought of earlier. Um, like, you know, here is a a feisty little six-year-old. That is maybe a really simple story to tell, depending on what you want to get across. And Becca, you're often tasked with um, telling relatively complex things about whatever it is that your clients are trying to make. So how do you navigate that beginning storytelling, learning information, asking questions, all that good stuff? So... For me, uh, I often have the privilege of starting with a specific story from my clients. Um, there is, you know, of course, then the level of development that comes after, but it's not all in my own neurotic artistic head. Um, so when someone comes to me with a concept or a story, um, yeah, I also like Bassam, I want to ask a lot of questions. I want to really know the story in depth. So I can first, you know, kind of create my own initial vision of what stands out to me, what seems important to me, what themes I recognize, and then take that, um, what is the word I want to use, kind of analysis, if you will, uh, to the client or the storyteller and um, discuss with them first what I saw, what stood out to me, and then we can start discussing how to if, if we're on the same page, if they are hitting the points that they needed to hit, if I'm picking up what they're putting down and then uh, moving on from there, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. So starting from these two different places, we have a very similar process, making sure that we understand really deeply what needs to be communicated and then how much Becca does understanding who the audience is going to be come into play when you start putting together how to visually represent the story that your clients are telling you? Massively, definitely, uh, because different people are gonna receive a story very differently and the visual cues that are used to convey said story uh, are going to hit differently depending on all sorts of things like people's demographics, where they live, what media they've been exposed to already. And you can see this like a lot in film, right? Like there's certain 
uh, color grades or palettes that are used to display like certain uh, emotions or even like locations um, in so much of, you know, big Hollywood film, there's kind of the same desaturated, gritty, sepia tone to things that take place like in the Middle East, right? Is that because that's what the Middle East actually looks like? No, it's because so much of this larger audience has been conditioned to make that visual connection already in their head. So knowing who your audience is is going to be like, oh, loud noises from you, Nicole. Um, it, 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 it's very, very important because if you're leaning into maybe very obscure visual cues or references and things like that that people aren't going to understand, then you're not effectively communicating the story to them if they're not going to be able to see what you're trying to show them. Sorry about the not muting. I didn't, I thought I had, <laughs> I apologize. Um, but yes, I agree. So, and I love the references you use because I think all of us can look back at movies that we recognize and genres in particular that we recognize and see how those visual cues have played into the storytelling and what we're supposed to think and believe. Because I can imagine if you were to pick up a Western and there were bright, saturated, fun, poppy colors, it would immediately challenge how you related to the rest of the story because we're very used to Western films that take place in you know, the old West, quote unquote, in America. Um, then we're seeing a lot of that desaturated earth tones and um, very washed out colors and things that have been bleached by the sun. And we don't expect to see those other types of colors or other palettes because they don't fit in with that genre. And if some director were to use them, they would be directly challenging us to see that film in a different way. And of course, it would require a lot of other effort to make that work because of how used we are to the conventions of that particular genre. So understanding that each demographic is going to view what you're sharing in a different way really helps you narrow in on who you're talking to, which is of course why um, so many different companies over the years have gotten in trouble for things like advertising to children. Because while they may not be directly saying, hey kids, you want this, um, what they're doing in the use of color and font and the time at which things are shown on the TV, all of these things um, suggest child audiences, right? So we have to really be aware of who we're talking to when we're trying to come up with the visual elements that will help us tell these stories. And along, oh yeah, go ahead, Becca. Oh, I, I wait. I no, no, I'm, I'm gonna kind of take that and ask Kat a couple of questions. So go ahead. I, I just wanted to give one more example. Um of kind of like using that that knowledge base and uh, using it kind of controversially, I guess. Um, if anyone's seen the film Midsommar, uh, it's a horror, psychological thriller. It's a creepy movie. It's kind of movie you like stare at the wall after and you're like, what the hell did I just watch? Anyway, um, it takes place in Sweden. And uh, it, I mean, it really beautifully captures, you know, the essence of summer and springtime in Scandinavia. It's got all this beautiful Scandinavian folk art. The colors are gorgeous and ethereal and light. And then it's this like horrifically dark story. And um, particularly for like an American audience, I feel like that's not what a lot of people associate with when they think of like, you know, oh, let's watch a Scandinavian movie. They're thinking dark and gritty and Viking and, you know, very blue and gray. And that's not what this film is at all. 
it's a very different look outside um, of the American view, I suppose. And, you know, into a very different kind of vibe and color palette that makes you feel a certain way. And then they flip that on its head with the storytelling itself. So you can use that to your advantage, too, to create more of that psychological concerning impact with your viewers. For sure. And I think probably all of us have seen this done with music, right? Um, oftentimes you can see really terrible scenes in a film and they put music that is unexpected to go along with it something that is either, you know, light and airy or jazzy or fun. And it makes the contrast of the brutality that you're seeing all the more stark because there is something to contrast it against. Um, and so that's certainly a path you can take, but be aware that if you decide to take that path, your visual storytelling has to be on point in the other areas where you need to be able to support the fact that you're making this choice on purpose. And we've talked before about the fact that if you're going to break rules, you need to have enough visual literacy to understand how breaking the rules in one area affects the entire image. And you have to support the fact that you understand what you're doing enough to break that rule properly. Otherwise, it ends up looking like an accident and it doesn't read well. So that's something important to keep in mind. But as Becca mentioned, it's such an incredibly powerful tool to take because it challenges the way that you view things. So imagine if you were to have uh, a headshot of a lawyer on a background with bright pastel pops of color and flowers in the foreground. We would be, we, we wouldn't know what to think as viewers. And if you decided to do that and it was important for the story, you would have to balance that with all the other storytelling techniques that you used in order to make it clear what the purpose of that break, I'll call it in genre, because lawyer photos are almost a thing of their own, but you'd have to be able to balance it against that break in genre for people to understand that this was purposefully done. And then they say, oh, clever, instead of what is happening here? <laughs> so, just another reason why visual literacy is so important. But before we get to the elements of the actual storytelling and asking us those questions, I want to um, poke Kat a little bit because understanding your audience is a really important aspect of coming up with the rest of the story. And I know Kat, you work with a lot of different demographics when it comes to um, your clientele. So I'm curious, how do you, differentiate when you are going to be advertising a 40 over 40 as opposed to maybe when you're doing something for you know teens or um you know other demographics how do you start kind of how do you figure out what those audience needs from you in order to click through or to become part of that um campaign um typically with transparency as often as possible um and that's typically followed by like some sort of transformational concept into confidence or something along those lines. Uh, but it's usually through sharing personal experience or uh, what I saw in the subject and the relationship that I have with that person and what I appreciate about them. Um, everything is typically around like what does the client get? Um, and so I try to craft all the things based on like visually, you know, around the archetype that we've created there. Um, but also that's then supported by copy that 
has some sort of insight, if you will, or poetry or some sort of like heartstring pull along with a call to action. But I will say this, just when we're talking about, you know, that visual literacy, I'm working with a, uh, a business or life coach uh, and she, her superpower is in like transformational breakthroughs. And she called me and she's thinking about her, her photo shoot that's coming up. And she said, I had this really cool idea that I could wear like my normal, like blazer boots and jeans and be looking into a mirror and the reflection staring back at me is in this like $3,000 wedding gown. And at the time I ended up not wearing it for my wedding, but at the time it would represent to me like this incredible breakthrough that allowed me to go down this path um, into, you know, like professional coaching. And I would like that to be the reflection. And I was like, you know, I, I appreciate the sentiment. I said, but visually from your audience or the audience for the book or, you know, whatever, that's just going to translate as a 40 something year old woman dreaming of her wedding day. Right. Even though to her, that dress represents this huge breakthrough in her life. And she could then craft the story in her bio around what that dress meant for her. Visually, it's still like nobody's going to take the time to read that because they're going to look at it and go, wait, what? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's that's such an important thing to know um, that especially and I mean, sorry, I'm stumbling a little bit, but this really does play into what our job as visual creators is when we are approached with an idea that is important to the person that we're working with. And yet we have to find a way to take what they want and to make that read properly, which is why that visual literacy is so important because if you didn't understand that, then you would have given the client exactly what you wanted and probably not what she needed at all. And for her, that would have been a failure because it would not have driven the kind of response she wanted from the people that she wants to be working for. So I think that's a really fantastic example of how we have to take those things into account when we start working our way through telling stories. So now that we know the importance of making sure we understand the audience that we want to reach, understanding that they have their own set of internal libraries that are affected by the culture that they live in, the age that they are, all of those things, and that we can appeal to them through carefully selecting what is included in the film or in the painting or in the photograph, then we can make sure that we're keeping our audience in mind and we are purposefully trying to reach them using things that they connect with and understand. Then we have to ask ourselves, okay, now that I know who my audience is and that that is going to affect how I choose to tell this story, I need to understand what it is this story is meant to do. Maybe I know that I want to affect high school seniors. What is it that I want them to feel or do when they see this image? Am I wanting them to click through? Am I wanting them to feel like they want to have an image like this of themselves? What do I want to happen here? And the same is true for any other type of art that we're gonna create. If I'm exploring the pain of motherhood, 
what do I want somebody to feel when they see the image? I certainly don't want them to walk away going, boy, that just made me want to go get ice cream and jump in a bouncy castle. I might want them to feel, God, I need to call my mom and tell her I love her, right? And so if that's the feeling I want to get from this particular audience, how do I start combining things in order to get that? What colors am I going to use? What objects am I going to include in the frame? Are there anything, is there anything that's culturally significant that I can include? Is there anything that's symbolic that I can include? Do I want to make a contrast like Becca was talking about in order to really drive home pain? So do I want to make the colors light and pastel and happy and contrast those against a really painful um, subject matter? I have a lot of decisions that I can make. So I need to begin not only with that understanding who's gonna be seeing this, but what do I want them to do or feel? And then, who is the subject? And this is an interesting one because the subject is not always what's included in the frame. Here's what I mean by that. I was talking about tricks of visual storytelling in an article that I wrote for F-Stoppers. And I used a person and people as the example because that's the easiest for us as humans to connect with. And somebody got irritated by my pedestrian use of people and said, you don't need people to tell a story. I could tell a better story by photographing a twisted bike laying on the sidewalk surrounded by broken glass. Hey, that's a great story to tell. But guess what? The story only works because we're imagining that a person was on that bike at one point. And if the story is about the bike, that story only matters because we have anthropomorphized the bike to give it some semblance of humanity that we can connect with. Because as humans, we don't care about things that are not human. And we will humanize things that are not human so we can care about them. That is the process of domesticating companion animals. We try to make them more likable. We try to make them more human. And the evolutionary process of those domesticated companion animals is that they begin to become more human over the years because that is, where, that is what we're selecting for. They begin to rely upon us more. They start to become more childlike in a lot of ways. And so at the center is a subject and the subject is almost always going to relate back to humanity in some way because that is our only experience of real connection. And our only true experiences exist inside of ourselves. So we must be able to put ourselves either in the shoes of the potential subject or to relate to that subject in some way. And so telling those kinds of stories always relies upon the fact that we must be able to empathize, sympathize, or live vicariously. So that's an important thing to keep in mind as we're starting to tell these stories and figure out who the subject is. Sometimes it is the person. And then the important viewer is still the person. I'm taking this photograph because I want this woman to look back at herself and see how beautiful she is, how powerful she is, how confident she is, how capable she is. And the subject is the same as the viewer. 
other times we are creating an image where the subject is an avatar for the viewer. I have the subject turned away. You can't see their face. All of a sudden, they become anybody and everybody. And they're standing in this incredible landscape. And I can imagine myself as that figure, that faceless figure, standing in this place. Other times, the subject is the viewer specifically. We want you to be able to put yourself in those shoes. So there is no subject in the frame, but you can very clearly see that it's taken from an eye-level perspective. And so the subject is now all of a sudden standing where the photographer stood, looking out and wishing they could hike this trail. And so they very quickly buy the shoes that are being advertised because we are talking to you who wants to be out in the woods and you need these shoes to protect your feet from this gnarly trail where you got this fantastic view. There's a lot that goes into creating the story, but you can't get there until you know who you're talking to and who the subject is and what we want the audience to do or feel. So keeping that in mind, I wanna start grabbing some of our friends in the audience today. And if you have any thoughts on how we start coming up with stories, I wanna hear from you. But also, um, if we have some time, it would be really great to go through just a quick exercise um, as we've done before, trying to come up with how we start developing this story so that we can create visuals based off of the story that we're trying to tell. So if you have any thoughts on that today or you wanna participate in a kind of round table brainstorm for the story that we are gonna make up, that way we can walk ourselves through the process, go ahead and raise your hand. We'd love to bring you up. I see we've got Carol. Anybody else, you guys want to come up and bat these ideas around a little bit so we can work on how we tell these stories. And remember, this is something that is important for all visuals if we want to sell them, right? Which means we're also going to need to consider this for how we advertise them. Um, so we can make sure we're including the right copy, et cetera, when we're putting these things together. So, good morning. Um, Carol, you were up here first, so let's start with you, and then Curvery, let's get to you. Do you have any thoughts on how we start to build these stories or ask these questions that we want to explore visually? Well, um, I have my situation's a little different. One is I'm not working actively with clients I'm selling things that are already done but I can relate to everything that you're saying because I know that I've had shows and people that don't understand art that is exploratory you know um, don't know what it is I've had people say what do I do with it you know um, for example I had a um, a long piece of skinny wood that was a scrap of wood and I did this really complex kind of a mosaic but tiny little pieces of paper and I did design on it and had a hanger and it was hanging with all the other ones and this person came up and said what is it what do I do with it and so that is kind of a frequent problem unless my audience is artists and they already have a basic level knowledge about art. 
so it's more i'm i'm presenting more of a problem that it raises when you don't know how to communicate to an audience that doesn't have this particular level of information that's not starting with this level of information if if that's relevant here but and it's already things that are done it's not in working actively with clients so there's there's no one to ask i just have to picture the group that i am maybe selling to and figure out who they are what they want how am i going to make them interested in what i do but i notice that sometimes if i just go into my process which is what i get excited about and and it they do pick up on the excitement um sometimes i'm not meeting them at where they are starting and other times people are like oh yeah cool okay yeah i'm glad you explained it you know what i mean so it kind of depends on the audience and i i still don't know how to fix that though carol i'm done thank you you know what, Carol, you said something there um, that I want to pick up on because you're absolutely right. You make the piece based on where the process takes you, but then you have to understand who is this piece for in the long run, right? Like, what are they going to do with it or what could they do with it? And of course, if we're purposefully targeting audiences that are in the art community, well, then we might have a little bit of an easier job, but we have to be purposefully targeting them but imagine if i was scrolling through let's just say facebook and i saw this piece hanging up in the corner of a beautifully decorated room and i realized man that piece right there that art piece right there it would really tie the room together right like i can see it now in a place where i could use it or a sculpture on a table in the entrance of a big hotel and all of a sudden that sculpture becomes a statement piece that helps communicate what the hotel is meant to make people feel while they stay there. All of a sudden now these advertising pieces that I'm using to help people understand how they can take my art and make their spaces come alive with it makes a whole lot of sense to these audiences who don't have an artistic background. And so that is an aspect that we can take of how am I going to tell this story and translate it into marketing or advertising space, because when you have already completed work as you do, you're absolutely right. The struggle becomes people don't know where they fit, where this fits into their life. And when they see an example that they can relate to, such as that piece hanging up in the corner, it really makes the room feel bright and lively. And I feel like it represents the fun that exists in our family. All of a sudden hanging that piece makes a whole lot of sense to me where it may not have if I wasn't able to see it in a space that I could connect to. And the same is true if I were to say, you know what, my audience right now is interior designers. I want to become the artist they go to, to source pieces for these multi-million dollar homes. Where are interior designers? What do they expect to see? Where do they hang out? How can I get my pieces in front of them in a way that allows them to see how these pieces of art can elevate a space. Well, I have to have imagery that does that, right? And it's probably not going to be imagery that I might see in a, let's say it needs to be in a downtown loft and not necessarily in a uh, 
in a, a sub a home in the suburbs, right? Or it needs to be in a hotel space and not necessarily a restaurant downtown where you can get a burger for 450. And those visual cues help solidify who it is that we're talking to. So even when we're looking at taking and selling pieces that we already have, being able to ask ourselves these questions and come up with a story that connects the audience to the work can still make a big difference in being able to sell things. So it sounds like mock-ups are important. The only problem with that is the shapes and sizes and things that of what I do are so irregular. They don't fit into a regular frame, but, but at least you have me thinking of that it's important how I present them. Thanks. Absolutely welcome. And remember that you can get images of interiors um, all over the place from places like um, Unsplash and Pexels where they're free to stock sites like Adobe um, and all of these other stock sites where you can get interiors that are really fantastic, have a great photograph of your piece that can then be comped in. Um, you can probably find artists on Fiverr or Upwork who can do that for you. They can comp those in, make sure they get the sizing correct. So you have that example. So if you're gonna sell on Etsy, let's say, that's what you want to show. In addition to close-ups of the piece so that people can start to make that connection. Ooh, this hill is steep to themselves. I got some coyotes hanging out with me. They're like super close. They're pretty cool. About the size of my dog. Um, yeah, so Curvery, I would love to hear from you. What are some of your thoughts on how we start coming up with these stories that help control the visuals that we share? I think a, a big part of it is always going to be, particularly when you're photographing people, it's always about the human interaction. So if you're creating a piece for a client and you want them to see something in the, in the image, then you have to sort of coach that out of them. And, you know, when you create the final image, they see that in the image. Uh, when, you, when you're creating, sometimes you create a piece for yourself. You have a subject in that piece. I find when I do that, I like to, just as if you have like a, a storyboard and you have a, a few, a series of images, I like to photograph in that way too. Sometimes you'll find that when your goal is one image, if you have a series of images, together they can tell a story. Or you can also have the, the opposite effect where your goal is to create a series and then you find that you have one image that can stand alone and, and tell a story on its own. You're absolutely right. And this is the entire purpose of editorial, right? When we create a series of images meant to go along with an article, um, we are picking things that help us tell the story over multiple images. And it's a great exercise to do. If you have never set yourself the task of trying to tell a story through multiple images, I would highly encourage you to give that a go because it really extends the storytelling and your capabilities in being able to tell a really detailed and subtle story through making sure that you're including all of the elements over a series. 
um, that help communicate. And you see this in National Geographic, you see it in any really serious magazine. This is what editorial photographer's job is, is to be telling stories through imagery. So knowing whether you're working on a hero shot or whether you're going to be able to extend that absolutely does affect how much and how complex of a story you're able to tell. And I think just to add to that, I think also um, keeping in mind that it is okay to target different audiences in different ways because we know that as, as humans, we receive information differently and we also communicate differently. So like I, I mentioned earlier, the importance of human interaction, maybe someone looks at a photo and right away, they, they connect with that person in the image and it draws a response. Or maybe they look at the colors in an image and, and that draws the first reaction. So keeping in mind what the message is that you're trying to send, that it is definitely okay to target different audiences. Yeah, absolutely. There are so many elements that we have and so many tools we have um, visually that we're able to use and take advantage of. So what I wanna do now is start to posit a story a little bit. Um, and let's see if we can find the key elements of this story and then how we'd want to represent those things visually. So we'll bat these around a little bit um, and come up with some ideas. If you wanna be part of this last exercise for the day, raise your hand, come up. Um, we will grab you and you can share in the process so we can see what it might be like to do this from start to finish um, and one of the mods will grab you so let's say that we have i'm going to pick at random here and force everybody to think outside the box a little bit let's say we have an author who needs a book cover that is going to help them sell their non-fiction book on meditation to women in their 40s who are empty nesters. So that is, that is what we're trying to communicate. We have an author who wants to sell a nonfiction book on meditation to women in their 40s who are empty nesters. So what kinds of questions do we need to start asking so we can build up an image, a story that's going to drive the image of this novel or that not, it's not a novel, it's a book, but still I call everything a novel. I guess that's my prejudice. <laughs> What's the title? The title is the title is seeking peace for empty nesters, a guide to meditation. Don't be scared to throw up some ideas, y'all. It doesn't have to be I, right. It just needs to stimulate thought. I would start to ask them uh, about the book and their, their the, like if it's a, you know, get a feel for the process and the feelings that they're, they're trying to um, get from their, their audience. Um, like if they have certain practices, they speak excuse me <clears throat> about in their in their book okay so 
um, pretending that I am the author, I will say that, you know, I want people to see that the book is going to help them feel peaceful and encourage them to be getting into outdoor spaces where they can get away from the hustle and bustle and really reconnect with themselves. So then I think it would, it would really be a lot of like, like getting them to talk about what that means to them, what their past clients have, have said about that, um, that process, like, what do they picture when they're outdoors and have them like walk me through, through their process. And, and if they have visuals, but like when they sit and close their eyes, what are they, what are the leading questions that they, they, they give or you know, what kind of visual clues do, do they tend to use? So uh, question two, um, if we're, are we specifically speaking towards women? The target demographic is, is definitely women in their 40s. Of course, other people may buy it, but that is who we have determined this book is really for. So the idea, right? would be to be showcasing the transformation that you offer. So showing a woman in her 40s, obviously outside, um, because that's something that that you created, but there's gonna be a lot of light involved. So whether it's sunny or beams, um, and like that really genuinely happy, peaceful look on her face. Okay, so in this version, we're looking at taking that cue of being outside, using somebody from the actual target demographic, and then showing their face so that they have this expression that showcases what people will be getting from this book, right? Which is great. So, well, actually, sorry, it it just popped into my head. Maybe we don't show their face. Maybe it stays really more what's the word I'm looking for? Um, Generic? Well, not necessarily generic, but like anybody could identify, right? So if it is a woman in her 40s, right? Just a a classic, like, you know, obviously it's not a woman in her 20s, right? And it's not necessarily like a woman in her 70s, but it's a a middle-aged woman without a face so that they can choose to identify themselves in that or not. Right. So that's a really fantastic question that we have to ask because you've now presented us with two potential options, right? We can show the face so that we see the happiness and the joy, which is a very positive connector for people. When we see faces that are smiling, it makes us feel good. We can't help it. It's in our physiology. Um, Or we have the option for allowing somebody to be vicarious and see somebody that they could be inhabiting. So we have both of these two options. Most of the time, whether one works or not, tends to come down to a little bit of market research. So we may be looking at other books within the genre and seeing what is selling well. And if faces are selling really well, then we might take the chance on faces. If faces are not selling well, then we probably will will probably opt in the opposite direction. And both of those things can work, but we need to know, do we want somebody to be able to see other people happy or do we want them to imagine themselves happy? Both of those are legitimate storytelling options, but you're absolutely right. They're strong for different reasons. Um, Becca, I saw that you unmuted as well. Go ahead. Yeah, um, I just wanted to follow up to what Kat said because I also was in the faceless 
kind of camp here. Um, I mean, if you think of any kind of self-help book or something in that general genre that you have in yourself, how many of them really have a face on it? None, really. <laughs> um, and so, I mean, my initial vision is definitely more into that hero shot. If we need to create a specific kind of character for someone to relate to, like, obviously we want to include that mother character, um, but not focusing on her as the individual through the face. So I feel like a lot of our storytelling here can come down to all the other other elements. Um, immediately, my mind is going very blue uh, to pull in that peaceful kind of feel here. And um, maybe even things like you've repeatedly mentioned the emptiness and how important that is. Can we tie that element or symbolism into the visuals here in a way that's recognizable to people um, and they can get this kind of story through that without necessarily focusing on the details of the character. I love that idea of using the symbolism. You would, could also ask if their book is about the transformation or if they want the cover to be about the place that they're getting to. So you could have something be where they're moving from like, there's the composition moves you from like a dark to a light or like rises above into a lighter area. Or if it's like, a like a state of, of, of being that they're eventually wanting to reach and that's what they want on, on the cover? That's a fantastic question. So we can imagine that there are a lot of different outdoor symbols that can be used to represent that idea, right? From standing on a mountaintop, looking out over a blue sky where the bottom is darker and the top is lighter. That's a gradient we can introduce to suggest transition. And the mountaintop always has been representational of, you know, the peak of things having gotten to the place that you've been fighting to go. So that's, that's a really interesting way that you can go, particularly if we're going outdoors. Um, so let's say we're going to go ahead and take our faceless subject. And how are we, how do we communicate that this is a woman in her 40s? How are we going to visually represent that? How do we tell just from her figure what age group she is? How do we suggest that? Are there visual cues we can include? I'm personally leaning away from, from anything that's particularly aging. Um, I feel like more emphasis could be put perhaps onto the other elements there. Um, you know, as long as it's recognizable as, uh, you know, someone very femme, if we're focusing on mothers, um, I don't feel like necessarily including things like graying hair or anything like that. I mean, keep the wardrobe maybe a little bit more mature, um, but not full on 1950s grandma. I think that would hit the needs without necessarily making it feel too old because I am, I'm not in my forties yet, but, um, I imagine most people in their 40s, particularly women, don't want to feel old and they don't want to see themselves as old. So focusing on the motherhood and the growth might be more important. So it's really interesting that you bring that up as well, Becca, because I was just thinking that those cues do not necessarily have to be related to the woman herself. So imagine if we're using a typeface that is reminiscent of typefaces used when this woman was growing up, things that you'd be able to recognize and connect to um, that may make her more likely to respond to a book showcasing that kind of font than somebody who is a little bit younger and had never, you know, 
seen that in their day-to-day -day life as a part of advertising. You could certainly look at um, things that were created in the past that that demographic would have a connection to and those design elements and use those to snag her as opposed to um, and, you know, any specific elements of her person. So that's another option also. Well, and I think maybe reconsider the outside piece. Maybe she's in her living room and there are, you know, graduation pictures of her kids and her family on the wall. Uh, and it's just, you know, stark and kind of empty and it's just her. That's a fantastic way to bring in more of the story. Another thought too, I mean, we could even go almost completely bodiless with this figure. Um, I, I was thinking a little bit, I'll just kind of brainstorming in my head here. Um, about doves and releasing your doves out of your nest. And, you know, even just something as simple as a hand could still create that connection. Um, you know, if it's got, you know, manicured nails or something there um, and erasing most of the body from that and creating the experience of, you know, the audience who's looking at the cover as viewer, kind of in that first person view. Ooh, so we have a lot of different ideas and directions that we could potentially take this book cover. And what I hope people are taking away from this so far is that even though we're telling the same story, we have so many options that we could potentially go with to help communicate. And the decisions that we make about what we choose are going to be based highly upon who we're targeting and what that potential market is gonna respond to and this is why big companies do a lot of market research, right? What do people this age respond to? What do they buy? What do empty nesters respond to? Where do they hang out? What do they buy? What do they watch? This is why big data is huge because it allows folks to really narrow in on these behaviors and these beliefs that they can take advantage of when they're crafting these images. And so if we were, um, let me dial this back for a second. So. I love your idea, Kat, of maybe potentially being able to show a living room and the space obviously communicates that children have lived here at some point. And then we have to ask ourselves again, um, which is something I didn't bring up and I should have, what format are people going to be seeing this in? If they're going to be seeing it as a book cover, then it needs to work at a very small scale. And if, let's say, we know that this is going to be primarily an ebook then the thumbnail needs to be absolutely eye-catching at a small size, and we can't rely on the small details to help us tell the story, right? So if, if that, that's why knowing where this is going is so important. If I'm talking about a billboard or the banner on a website, then that is going to be a huge key in making sure I communicate with my audience. But if we're talking about something the size of a book cover, I may have entirely different decisions to make so I have to keep those things in mind as well, which is why often you will see book covers um, be highly punchy and have really strong graphics. And they may include small details, but those small details are more like Easter eggs and less like, hey, buy this book. So that's something to keep in mind, knowing where these images are going to be. Is this going on a wall in somebody's home? Is it going on the cover of a book? Is it going next to an article in a magazine? Is it, where is it gonna be? What is it meant to do? Where it is, is gonna make a huge difference into how you're able to communicate given the space you have to work with. So 
Um, in these last couple minutes, I want to get just some final thoughts from everybody. I noticed that we lost Jean. Um, do you have any final thoughts on what this may look like, this kind of ideation phase where we're coming up with how we tell these stories visually? Don't be scared, don't be scared. All right, y'all are quiet today. Okay, so as we start to wrap things up, we talked a little bit today about how we tell the story. And we have to have a story, we have to have an audience, we have to have a purpose. We have to know where this story is gonna to be told. Is it gonna to be told in a book? Is it gonna to be told on a billboard? Is it gonna be told on a web page, Or is it gonna to be told in someone's home? How much space do we have to work with? What do we want our audience to feel? And then how do we start taking those elements of visual literacy and using them to our advantage to tell the story? One of the things I want to really drive home is the, the point that a story always has to have a subject. And then there needs to be a reason for that to matter to the viewer. And that's why empathy, sympathy, and vicariousness are kind of the three big ways that we make sure the story matters. Either the person that we're looking at is someone we could be or desire to be, or it's someone we can identify with, or it's someone who excites feelings within us, often of sympathy, but could potentially be of excitement or joy which is why faces are so powerful. Um, so we have all of these, all of these elements that go into the kinds of stories that we want to tell. And then once we understand who we're talking to and what we want to say to them, where we're going to say it and what response we want from them, we can begin to dial in the different elements of the story to make sure that they work. And you were able to see that even with the same subject matter, that book reaching to women who are empty nesters in their 40s, um, we had many different options. And some of them will work, given the media, and some of them will not. Um, Kat's idea is brilliant for subtext. Will it work on a book cover? That's a big question, right? So, and then, of course, Becca, um, with your idea with doves, as I was thinking at the time, like, um, how many people will see that from a distance and, and see that as religious symbolism and not ever really look at the cover of the book, right? We don't, we'd have to test those things out. We have to look at those markets. We have to do that research. We have to understand the demographic that we're looking at and what kinds of things that they respond to. So our storytelling doesn't just end with coming up with ideas. We have to be able to recognize that those ideas exist within context and then figure out what the context is for the story that we're trying to tell so we can make those right decisions. Did I hear somebody unmute? Sorry, yes. my phone was in my pocket. Oh, Curry, go ahead. Uh, so I guess listening, um, listening to you just now, I think um, I just kind of came to a realization that for, for me, with this example, you know, we had a very specific, um, audience that we're targeting. Um, and I just try to sort of connect that to interacting with, with clients. You know, sometimes I find 
my struggle is that I have sort of a set idea uh, for what I want to do with the client uh, and not always the not always having the ability to pull out from them exactly what they're looking for because sometimes they'll tell you they want something but when they really want something else. So I, I guess the the key takeaway for me or the, the question that I'm left with is is how do you translate client feedback into that specific like audience? Ooh, that's a great question. And maybe I can um, poke you here a little bit, Becca, because that's really in your wheelhouse, being able to ask those questions and not necessarily take what someone's sharing with you at face value, but push a little bit deeper to get those answers. So how do you translate that client feedback to make sure you're giving them what they want? I'm sorry, could Curvery repeat um, the specifics of his question again? I'm sorry, uh, what, what did you say? Could you repeat the question one more time, uh, just to give me a little bit more okay. answer, yeah. Yes. So I was I was saying that with, with the example that we just worked on, that audience was very specific. Um, so I, I feel like, like a big part of the job, especially when you're dealing with clients, uh, if you get a specific target audience, that narrows down the amount of work that you have to do. So my question is, how do you, when dealing with clients, let's say I have someone for a portrait session who has like a big... 30th or 40th birthday coming up and and they tell me what they want but it's not exactly what they want if that makes sense sure yeah that does make sense um so in in the case of a photo session um i mean you can sort of ask them you know what is the eventual use of these photos you know or is this going to be something that's going to be hung in your house are they sending out really elaborate invitations to their next birthday party and the photos are going to go on a card? Is it something that's going to be, you know, pasted on the back of a book they're writing? Um, so you can get to know their intent by asking very pointed questions about, you know, what the final format and usage and needs um, that they have are. And then you can help develop um, that idea with them from there. So if you know it's something that's going to be hanging in their home, you maybe want to get a feel for like, what does their home look like? Uh, what kind of size is that going to be? And you can start making suggestions and you can be gentle with those suggestions on what might work better. Um, and a lot of times I, I love this idea of kind of the, the shit sandwich when giving people feedback on something that you may not agree with. Um, so if they suggest they're like, I have this idea and I want to wear this outfit and um, we're going to shoot in this location, you can start with, that's awesome. I love that. And pick out something that you really love from their suggestions and then make a gentle nudge in another direction you know what might work better to make this even more epic blah 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 um so it, because you as the artist you also have to take some kind of agency there where they are coming to you because they trust your ability to create what they need so yeah okay everyone does sometimes get these awful clients who think that they know best and sometimes that just sucks but more often than not when you have those directions that you'd like to push someone towards, they're willing to accept that input, particularly when you are um, not congratulating, but um, affirming their own wants and needs in that process. So a lot of that comes down more to communication than necessarily um, the storytelling itself. 
I, that's fantastic, Becca. That's so good. And I also just want to add, um, the trick that I use for this is what does that mean to you? Um, so I have worked with clients before who, um, have told me that they wanted specific things. I gave them what I thought was what they wanted. It was not what they wanted. And I realized that what I need to do in those circumstances is find out what they actually mean by the thing that they're asking. So if they say, you know, light and airy, okay, light and airy is awesome. What does light and airy mean to you? Like when you say light and airy, what do you see in your head? And especially if I have visuals that we might be able to look at, like when you see this, does this say light and airy or are you thinking more? They might be thinking when they say light and airy, a physical descriptor and I'm thinking pastels, right? So we have to remember that we don't always have the same definitions for things and being able to ask somebody, what does that mean to you can often really help line up um, what they say with what they actually mean. So asking that question um, for me tends to work really well to kind of get to the heart of what somebody wants. And we had Erica really come up as well. Go ahead, Becca. And then oh, Erica. I just, just want to um, throw my support behind that too. Um, you've mentioned before this experience you had when uh, the client wanted to look like Sophia Loren, I think. And um, often people, particularly people who aren't artists, like Carol mentioned earlier, they don't have the correct uh, verbiage to describe what it is they want. So they might be telling you something and it's creating a visual in your own mind, but it's not actually the visual that they are also thinking of. So being able to pull out those kind of mood board sort of images and create something with them so you're all on the same page is really, really valuable because they're not artists. They don't always know the way that artists think and the way that artists describe art. Which ties exactly into what I was just about to say. Um, because the way I try to eliminate that problem is by meeting with the clients first and having a style guide that has examples of the work that I have done and that gives them the verbiage to show them, you know, the different styles that are available. And then they can tell me, oh, I like this or I don't like this and name it and see, you know, how I create those different things. Um, so we're on the same page. By the time we get to the session, we're on the same page. Like my definition of light and airy is the same as their definition of light and airy because they've seen that example. And what I love about the way that you approach that, Erica, is that you use your own work in order to do that, which is my favorite, because a lot of times we will say, we'll put together a Pinterest board, right? And let me see that. And they may come back to you with a whole bunch of things that number one, you don't do, and number two, they are now going to use to compare to the work that you've created for them. And so using your own work as a way to help them through how we're visualizing these terms we're using is just is genius. So I love that so much. Absolutely why it was created. All right. So Curvery, did that kind of answer where you were going with your question? Yes, yes, it did. Perfect. All right, y'all. So um, thanks for hanging in there. I see that we still have a few friends with us, even though we're past our time. Super glad that we were able to keep and hang on to you guys for the whole thing today. I think that was worthwhile um, question to make sure that we covered at the end. So thank you for being here with us today. I hope you will be with us tomorrow. And I hope that you're out working on the January challenge where we're using our camera phones 
to come up with a piece of art, to make a piece of art just using the camera on our phone. And then we're going to share those in the Facebook group with the hashtag January challenge and be able to break those down in the lives um, using all of our visual literacy skills to go over those images and continue practicing the art of visual literacy. So I hope you're doing that. Come hang out with us in the Facebook group. Come be part of the conversation. Share your best stuff in there. We love to see it. And then make sure you go check out theartistforge.com where the articles and podcasts are going up just about five days a week right now. Um, if you have not already, all of the, those podcasts from the past month and some change will be up as we work on them. So in the meantime, check that cool stuff out. Go make something amazing and we'll see you tomorrow. Thanks again for listening to this live clubhouse discussion moderated by all of us at the Artist Forge. We hope you found the information useful and that it helps you gain a little bit of insight as to how you work on your craft. For more episodes, please join us each weekday on Clubhouse or visit theartistforge.com. Now go make something incredible.